Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. We have been truly blessed in the life of this church. And uh, greetings to all of those who have been a part of that. So many great faces to see Perry and Byron in September and Tori and Will and and uh, Brian and uh, I'll leave somebody out just when I start naming names but thank you and uh, thanks Eric for putting that together I, I love the fact that we're still a family I love the fact that uh, no matter where people go to minister and share that we belong together we're still community we're all doing the same work we're just doing it in different places and in different ways and and I think that matters it matters because we are together in community and as we entered into this season, none of us really anticipated what it would look like. And I don't know about you, but I believe some things have become very, very obvious as we have been isolated apart from one another. And that is, we are not created to be isolated apart from one another. We are created to interact. And I was out yesterday running around and doing some errands, and we've got some projects going at the house. And I, I, I felt this yesterday. Uh, people can't stay home any longer. They were out in mass yesterday. There was traffic yesterday. It's the first day I've seen traffic uh, in weeks and weeks. Uh, and most of it was centered around, you know, Ace Hardware or the Do It Center or Home Depot or Lowe's. And uh, people are anxious. They're ready to get out. They're ready to do some things. And I don't think that's, uh, that's a reaction to what's happening. That's, that's part of our DNA. We were built to know and be known, to love and be loved we were built to connect and we were built and made and created for community as we serve a god of community and so i want us to think about this you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and and you will be my witnesses both in jerusalem and judea and samaria and to the very ends of the earth there is this great empowering of God, but then there's this thing for us to do. There's something for us to accomplish, and I really want to talk about that and think about what that looks like and what that means today. I, I don't know about you, but Aesop's fables have fa fallen out of fashion. Uh, for a lot of us who are older, uh, we learned a lot of life's lessons from uh, Aesop's fables, but uh, if you've read them lately, you know why they fell out of favor. Um, they're pretty harsh, and pretty graphic sometimes but here's a little one that that's acceptable and I think it's especially important in these days uh, one fine day it occurred to the members of the body that they were doing all the work and the belly was having all the food so they held a meeting and after a long discussion decided to go on strike until the belly consented to take its proper share of the work so for a day or two the hands refused to take the food the mouth refused to receive it and the teeth had no work to do at all. But after a day or two, the members began to find that they themselves were not in a very active condition. The hands could hardly move, and the mouth was all parched and dry, while the legs were unable to support the rest. So thus they found that even the belly, in its dull, quiet way, was doing necessary work for the body, and that all must work together, or the body will go to pieces." Now, I think that's a beautiful piece of writing, especially in these days, because I don't know about you, but it seems to me that our bellies ought to get a little extra love and a little extra respect. After all, they're playing a much bigger role in our lives than they were in previous weeks. 
And you can take that any way you want. Because I think the truth is, most of us are, you know, spending more time just sort of settling in and nesting in our homes. In our culture, so many experts are telling us how things ought to work, and they're telling us the way things ought to work. And, and, and every single day, we're forming opinions about how we ought to see our way through this pandemic and what ought to happen. And we're using these, wood, these words, I'll tell you what we ought to do, I'll tell you what they should do. And listen, those are moral words. That means we have some understanding of how it should work. But let me just ask you this question. What if the things that we disagree with become vital to us? What if we think the things that we think are unimportant are actually very important? What if we're wrong? What if we don't know exactly what? What if we, as we sort of make our way and we sort of project our opinions about what's happening around us, and it's not just about this situation, about politics or any other situation, what if it turns out we're not right? What if there are things we despise that are actually vital? And it seems to me that that has a great deal to do with how we work in community, how community really forms, how we really attach ourselves to other human beings who may not be anything like us. We have a motto in this country. It goes like this, e pluribus unum. It's Latin, which means out of many, one. Now, now you know, because you know, you've been around and you've studied enough about history or you've heard me drone on about it enough, that that, that really came into use uh, in about 1776 in this country. And it was a motto that came about because uh, of the vision of federalism, that there would be 13 colonies that form one nation. And so uh, they adopted that uh, phrase. It's on our currency. That's where it came from. However, you may not realize that it's much, much older than that. Uh, in fact, it, it dates all the way back, if you trace it, to pre-Socratic philosophy and to a pre-Socratic philosopher by the name of Heraclitus. Now, Heraclitus, if you've been around here, you've probably heard me talk about him because he's responsible for the idea that the world is in flux, that the whole world is in flux and it's kind of moving around, but there is a divine force at the center of the universe that holds the, the, the flux in order, and, and he named that force the logos and then Matthew uh, I mean John uh, came along and used that in reference to Jesus the logos the word the mind and character of God embodied in human flesh but he also had the idea uh, that opposites attract he had the idea that opposites held intention make the world work that that there's actually a, a sort of dynamic that's observable in the world in which when you take people who don't agree with one another, or you take uh, elements that seem in opposition to one another, and you allow them to come together in dynamic ways, that useful things happen. He used the illustration that, that a bow and an arrow is an illustration of this. So you take a piece of wood that does not want to be constrained, it does not want to form itself, and you bind it up with a piece of, uh, of leather, you bind it up with something that allows that tension to be captured and, and, and out of it you form this useful tour, tool that can, that can protect and it can provide food and it can help develop culture. He, he said you can observe the same thing in an, a musical instrument. A musical instrument has these elements and, and you string things across it and the tension that's created uh, allows for actual music to exist. 
Without the tension, without the oppositional forces, you couldn't have true harmony. And he said the same thing is true about culture and the world and society and human beings and homes and families. If everybody thinks the same and looks the same and acts the same and, 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 you know, has the same understanding and values, there's not anything dynamic that can create harmony. You might have unison, but you don't have harmony. And useful things happen out of that. And I don't know about you, but at a practical level, it seems to me that most of us, our ideal is that everybody would agree, that everybody would think the same, that we would, in fact, want everybody in our circle of influence to see the world and see things the same way we do. And we treat each other poorly because of that. We make rude remarks. We, we withdraw ourselves from community because we don't all agree together. We, we rob ourselves from real harmony, from the openness that says, listen, I don't really see things the way you see things, but I value you and I love you. And I believe that in this real, very different way we see things is synergy, that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts that together we form something dynamic, and it matters, and it's significant, and we value it. But it's not just that we come together in these dynamic ways out of our diversity. There's something for us to do. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. In the Bible, we call this arrangement covenant. There's something for God to do. There's something for us to do. In relationships, it's the same. There's something for all of us to do to form community. The biblical story, when you think about that story of Heraclitus, he's, he's a pre-Socratic author. Just so you know, when Heraclitus is writing his philosophy, the story of God, as written in the Old Testament, has already reached the moment of the intertestamental period. We've already had the entire Old Testament story by the time Heraclitus, who was before Socrates, begins to even think about such things. And in that story, you have a story of God who is calling a group of very diverse people together. And the purpose is first stated in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Why does he call these people together? He calls these people together in their diversity to form community so that through them the world might be blessed. It matters. Of course, you know the biblical metaphor And before we kind of talk about that, let's talk a little bit practically about diversity. Let me just ask you some practical questions. Do you and all your children see the world the same way? Do you see the the world the same way as your parents? Do you see the world the same way as your spouse? Do you see the world as the same way as the people you work with or go to school with? See, the reality is it would be very difficult at any level to find a sort of unison perspective on the world. And yet we continue to think that somehow that's the criteria of community. But everything in history, everything in humanity, everything philosophically and everything biblically suggests, no, no, strength comes from diversity. Real community comes from being different from one another. So Paul, of course, writes this masterful piece of work in 1 Corinthians 12. 
just as, one, just as a body, though one has many parts, but its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. We're not alike. We're not made alike. The purpose of God is not to make us alike. It is to pull us together in our diversity into one body. On the evening of Jesus' arrest, he is praying in the garden, and Matthew gives us a, a very, very brief glance at what is happening to Jesus in the garden. He gives us just a tiny bit of an excerpt, but John gives us this extensive account of his prayer. I want you to listen to it. I have three points to come from that, and then we're going to conclude uh, this service together uh, around communion, community, uh, being at one table together. Listen to the words. It's poetic, impassioned prayer. John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It's a beautiful prayer. In fact, I want to encourage you today, tomorrow, through the week, it would be just read the entire chapter, John 17, the high priestly prayer, and listen to the prayer that Jesus prays over you and me. I not only pray for the disciples, I pray for all of those who will believe through their message. That's us. That's every one of us. That Jesus in that moment has us in mind, praying specifically with words formed around your life and my life and your story and my story. I see three things coming out of this unity and this prayer in this moment. Number one, what Jesus is praying for is that we would have a community of sharing. A community of sharing. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in them. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's an invitation for you and I to recognize that community this community comes about because we share. Uh, 
that somewhere, somehow, somebody you know got invited into some church family, into some church event, and out of that you made your way, or maybe you're making your way, or maybe in these days joining live stream, these are the first times you've ever listened to a church, you've, you've ever been a part of a worship service, welcome. What better place to explore what it looks like and what it might mean? But, but Jesus is praying and suggesting that, that you and I somehow, somebody cared about us and, and came to us and suggested to us that we might want to know a God who loves us, who forgives us, who lifts us, who, who promises to come beside us. And they extended an invitation and, and, and we showed up somewhere and we, we learned about who God was and we were surrounded by loving people and we were welcomed into a community that cared about us and loved us. It's become fashionable to talk about paying it forward, but the biblical idea of paying it forward was always a part of what Jesus had in mind. It's a community of sharing. We, we don't hold it in. We're not trying to form a club. This isn't something that we, we gather around one another as some exclusive rights or we have some privilege. We're not consumers. We're not spectators. We are participants in the kingdom of God, and this community only happens because we share it. It only happens because we desire to involve other people. Now, I'm going to come to this several times here in the next couple of minutes, but I just want to say this. I recognize that for us to talk about sharing a community of faith, sometimes we are hesitant because we're embarrassed. Sometimes we feel like we're, we're pushing a product nobody wants. Listen. If we are pushing a product nobody wants, it's because we have not formed ourselves around the true community of Christ. Who, who does not want to be in a place that promises to walk with us? Who, who does not want to know and be known? Who, who does not want to love and be loved? Who does not want the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and patience and self-control? Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to walk around with people who will mourn when we mourn and rejoice when we rejoice? That we may have lived out the kingdom badly is not a reason for us not to share. It's a reason for us to examine ourselves and to look at who we are and to challenge ourselves again to become the true community of faith, to build something we deeply desire to share with others because it is valuable and priceless and life-changing and transformational. That's who we're called to be. It is a community of sharing. Number two, it's a community of connection. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved them. We long for attachment. We long for attachment. And so Jesus is praying this prayer. I want them to come to unity. I want to be in them the way you're in me. I want us to all be one together. Listen, I just want to slow down. It's a community of connection. And the invitation to connection is so intimately deep that this is what the Scripture suggests. That we become connected to God in such a way that He begins to heal what is divided up inside of us. The, long before we start to try to connect with another human being, <laughs> we are invited into this space. I, I want you to slow down. I want you to take a deep breath this morning. 
I, I, I understand how easily we get divided up inside. That our hearts and our minds and our spirits and our bodies work in opposition to one another instead of in harmony. And the invitation that Jesus prays in this moment over you and over me is that we may be one as He and the Father are one and we may be brought to complete unity. And I wish you would just take a deep breath and say, God, I need that. I need that in my inner world. I need that sort of understanding because I feel the conflict. I feel the pain. I feel disconnected. I feel disconnected within my own body within my own thoughts. There's disunity going on in me. And the invitation is for connection, to allow the Spirit of God to wrap you up and remind you you are loved. You are created in the very image of God. You are His child. You're not an accident. You're not a random moment in history. He's prepared good works in advance for you to do. He's equipped you with a unique personality and unique gifts. And whatever the damage that has happened, whatever the story is, whatever the narrative that runs in your head, wherever you've been, whatever's happened to you, whatever you caused, however you failed, whatever you chose, whatever happened, He promises to bring you to wholeness, to redemption, to new life. Who wouldn't want to be in a community like that, that celebrates that? But we can't be a community together like that until it happens to us. I pray it over you. I pray that you would come to complete unity, that you would be connected to Jesus by the Holy Spirit, to the Father, that you would be one in such a way that it heals the division that goes on inside of you. I pray that that would be true in this moment, but in the moments to come, because I don't know about you, but I might feel that at a moment, but it has a tendency to fall apart, and I need to come again and again and again and again and sit in this space and quiet my heart and rest in Him and allow His Spirit to bring connection and true community and communion. It is a community of sharing, and it is a community of connection. Henry Nouwen writes, one of the main tasks of theology is to find words that do not divide but unite, that do not create conflict but unity, that do not hurt but heal. That's our task. That's who we are to individuals, but to our community, to our friendships. Number three, it's a community of common purpose. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them so that you can be bound together. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but uh, uh, I, I, if you've ever been on a mission trip, maybe you, you, you understand this. You know, mission trips is open to anybody. And uh, if you've ever been on one of them, you know that people sign up and you just think, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go to the other side of the world with 
that person. I don't know how we get along. More than once as we prepared to go uh, on a mission trip in the life of this church, I thought, I don't know how this team's going to work out or how it's going to get along. I don't know how this person is going to fit in or how this skill set's going to be matched up. But it is amazing to me that I have yet to be on a mission trip in which that did not come together. And it usually comes together in a way that friendships form that last a lifetime. It usually comes together in a way that, that something happens that binds you together and you sort, of, you sort of are in this club, you're sort of in this fraternity, you're in this thing and you sort of know each other and you, 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 you know, it doesn't matter. Years later, you still remember time. And when I try to analyze what that looks like, I think it looks like this. You have common purpose. That for just a few days, you single-mindedly are doing the same thing. You're, you're serving the exact same purpose. And listen, community comes from common purpose. It comes because we're bound together in such a unique way for the unique purposes of God that we are to be sharing and we're to be a community of connection. We're to build a community of connection that's worth sharing. And that takes energy and it takes effort and it takes common purpose. A.W. Tozier writes these words, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive instead for closer fellowship. It's a great lesson. It's a great lesson as we talk about what it means, as we talk about how it works, as we talk about what comes together for us in the life of community. Listen, we are all striving to be what God has called us to be, and as we all go nearer and nearer what it is that Christ has called us to do and to be, we become closer and closer to one another. We are bound together in this common purpose of pursuing Christ and pursuing His purpose in the world. So that Jesus says He is about to ascend into heaven, looks at those disciples, and He says to them, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all the things I've taught you, Build the connection, build the kingdom, build the community, be the people, be the place, and then share it. And if you don't feel like sharing it, build a better place. Build, keep building a better place until it's a place you desire deeply to share, to invite people into. Have a common purpose. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. You're going to go do something. You're going to be empowered, and then we're going to go do something. We're going to accomplish something together. Listen, the mission of this place that we call Montrose Church is pretty simple. We want to be a safe place where people feel loved and welcomed, where they feel safe and at home, and where God has the opportunity to speak into their lives and change them. We, we are not in the business of changing people. We are in the business of loving people, of creating a warm, welcoming, kind, considerate, thoughtful, friendly place where we don't just look to talk to each other because we've known each other, where we look out, 
where we prepare ourselves. And maybe these days of isolation are a blessing in which we evaluate again and think again about the privilege we have and how we ought to use it and what it means for us to come together as a family. We weren't created to be isolated. We were created to be in true community together. And you and I, we get to help. We get to decide. We get to build the kingdom in such a way that it is reflective of the kingdom of God alive on earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. The vision and the passion of this church is to be a safe place, but also to be a practical place. We don't just talk week after week about pie in the sky and going to heaven when you die and but we talk about how a community of faith formed together could sacrificially serve this community. Whether it's saving innocents and kids that need to be plucked out of sex trafficking or it's it's abused women who need a shelter or it's it's some of our kids and adults with special needs that need time and energy and care and love and a place of acceptance. Whoever it is, whatever the partner looks like, maybe it's the homeless on Skid Row that need a church family, and and we can be a part of that. Don't you want to be a part of community that celebrates real connection? But it's also practical. It's also making a difference. It's it's first-line workers who are loving people over at the hospital, and, and, and it's teachers, and it's first responders, but it's everybody else making a practical difference because we serve a common purpose. So as we close the service, we're going to celebrate around the table. We're going to celebrate communion. So gather your elements. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to pray together. And we're going to talk about what it means in these moments to be a community of faith. Don't you love the symbol? I mean, when the early church gathered to do the Lord's Supper, they actually ate a meal together. They they actually ate. It wasn't just a tiny wafer and a little sip of something. They, they sat and they talked and they celebrated, usually in someone's home. There's nothing really that creates community quite like sitting around a table together, quite like sharing food together. Food's deeply personal. It's, it creates all kinds of memory. It triggers deep parts of us emotionally, feelings. We talked early in the service about how our bellies are playing a more prominent role because most of us are finding some comfort in eating things that make us feel better, make us feel at home and relaxed. And all of that is a part of the symbol, the humanity of it, the reality of it. And here we're gathered in these moments across the country, literally across the country and across the world. I, I was noticing we have friends from Africa joining us. And as we sit at this table together, it's symbolic. It's not a big meal. But you've gathered something in your home that represents both the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That represents the reality that we have someone who loved us and desires for the divine God of the universe to be one with us. Who longs to empower us in such a way that the divided parts of our inner world come together. So on this Sunday morning, maybe the nourishment you need is for your own heart and mind and body and spirit. Maybe you need healing and something to pull you back together. We pray in the liturgy 
that the grace of God would be given to you in such a way that it would meet those needs. Maybe what needs to be pulled together is something relational. Maybe it's related to the network of others. Close relationships. Maybe it's all the external chaos that's going on. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's job. It's finance. As we pray and dedicate the elements, we always pray that God would apportion grace to each person as there is need. We are one at this table together. I'd like to pray a prayer of consecration and blessing over the elements that you've gathered in your home and that we've gathered here. Would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks that the unity of the body of Christ is much, much stronger than isolation, pandemics. It's much, much more vivid and much, much more real than sitting in one room in one place, that what binds us is cosmic and eternal and deep truth and deep time and a personal relationship with the divine God of the universe. And we invite and ask nothing less in these moments than to connect together, to be one with you as you are one with the Father to allow that grace to pour down over us, to heal what is divided up inside of us, to heal what is divided up outside of us, to take the diversity of our world, of our own families, and to celebrate the tension that creates harmony and music and the possibility of usefulness, to stop looking at it upside down and backwards with hostility with attitude. Instead, would you allow us to embrace one another in our diversity, understanding and trusting that all of us are being drawn together into a place of complete unity. I pray that in these moments, you would bless each need, each home, each family, each life, each story, that you would remind us that we are a community of sharing and we're a community of connecting and we're a community of common purpose, but, but not because we say so. We have to live it out. We have to do the work. We have to commit together. But I pray you would remind us also that you are the means by which we are empowered and inspired and enabled to do such work. We invite that strength and understanding into us in these moments. I pray, God, that you would bless the elements that have been prepared. I pray that you would consecrate them. We dedicate them to you. We pray that you would bless them and use them to further your kingdom. And would you, through them, apportion grace to each person as there is need. We commit them to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you.
the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life, take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. And now, God, would you continue with us in these closing moments as we respond to your word, as we respond together. I pray that we would post, connect, participate together as the family of God, sing worship and respond to your word. Bless this congregation, all those who share in this moment. Watch over and guard them. I place them in your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.